Welcome everyone to episode 180 of the Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. Thanks for joining your hosts, Tierra and Jack. And we're excited to be back with another episode. And just going to be giving a bit of a recap on this past season A and also a bit of an update on ourselves as well. Yeah, well, it's great to be back behind the mic after a few weeks. We are recording this today on Sunday, the 14th of May, 2023, and it's actually Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. I know after this podcast, we're meeting up with our moms and, you know, if the tides were right, we'd probably go out and catch them a fish, but it is quite a high tide. So uh, not the most optimal for fishing. So we're just going to have a good old fashioned barbecue, but Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) But being mid-May now, boy, we have just wrapped up an entire month and a half of essentially back-to-back bodybuilding shows here in Australia every single weekend going since April. Yeah, it's, it's flown by. It really has. Yeah, but exciting nonetheless. And I guess just a big congratulations to everyone on our team who competed this past season and showed up with their absolute best at each and every show and took on judges feedback and kept improving. And I just want to give a bit of a special shout out to a few of the girls on our team. Like I know that Sheena last weekend at ICN Nationals, she held her own and she actually came away with winning her ICN Bikini Pro card in just a stacked lineup, which was really impressive on her front so an awesome job and that's coming off the back end of the weekend before taking out the overall in swimsuit at the nba show which was really cool and a big congratulations to agnes who is a figure competitor on our team this past season and agnes took out her anb pro card and she also competed at ifbb nationals as a natural competitor and she took out first place in the master's figure division and she also took out third place in the novice lineup against just an immense number of women of a very high caliber so that was super duper impressive as well and to nicole and martina who competed in fitness and sports here in queensland and took out a number of podium finishes from first second and third at their respective shows and that was just really impressive as first timers and For Amelia as well, she took out the fitness overall with the Elite Natural Physique Federation down in South Australia and uh, also came up here to Queensland and certainly held her own and came away with a number of podium finishes at the Brisbane Classic. So awesome job to everyone on Team TBD for season A and boy, bring on season B. It's going to be pretty wild. Yeah, I think we've got quite a few additional people for season B, which will be fun. Yeah, I think over twice the number of competitors getting on stage for season B and a lot of travel thrown in the mix. We'll be flying up to Townsville, we'll be flying down to Sydney, to Melbourne, I'm going over to Japan with Chloe. It's gonna be one hell of a time. Can't wait, yeah. Yeah, it'll be good. But Jack, I wanna ask you, like, what did you think about this past weekend, the ICN National Show, just the caliber? Yeah, it was fantastic. It was our so it's our third year in a row going to Sydney, the same no, fourth year in a row. Mm. Actually, night well, 2019, 2021, 2022, 2023. So yeah, four times in total, but three years running. Mm. And twenty nineteen was at a, a different different venue as well. But yeah, the the standard was incredibly high. Mm. And it was probably my, my favorite time as well, just in general. Just we did a slightly better planning in regards to 
where we stayed and we bought I know you seem to have a lot of people seem super surprised that we bought a suitcase full of food to a hotel but uh, should we answer why we did that well the people on the anonymous Instagram polls were asking if you guys aren't in prep why are you traveling with your own food and it's a simple answer of well one we live a bodybuilding lifestyle and this is just what we do day in day out regardless of whether or not we're in a comp prep <laughs> plus if you're a bodybuilder you're spending the majority of your time not in prep rather than in prep at least you know if you're improving a lot those <laughs> those reasons are actually low down on my list like it's honestly just we didn't have we don't have the luxury of we're at shows the whole day we don't can't mm. just go out to eat for every meal like it's just more convenient to bring around bring our own food and have mm. it prepared so that all we need to do is eat it as opposed to like spend a lot of money going out and buying food mm. plus i was mini cutting as well which meant that my need my accuracy with nutrition needed to be higher mm -hmm. absolutely <laughs> and plus we flew down and we each had a 23 kilogram baggage limit and going down for a two-day trip especially when you're kind of wearing your quote-unquote work uniform <laughs> we kind of just wear the same thing to shows each day that doesn't weigh very much at all hardly any clothes so we're like hey we've got a whole extra suitcase let's pack this thing full of food we actually slightly went over the baggage limit we went up to 24 kilos but the kind girls at Jetstar said it's okay you know because it's almost like evenly distributed but at the same time, people often give the justification of, oh, I, I won't travel with my food or, you know, I won't prep my meals because there's just the time factor involved. But I would legit argue that it actually saves you time from just a convenience standpoint and a food preparation standpoint from just having your own food on hand that you are regularly accustomed to eating you know how to prepare in a very efficient manner and you know makes you feel good and energetic you're used to obviously digesting it but it's so easy to just prepare those foods on hand compared to you're going to be spending time regardless like if you have to walk somewhere stand in a line pay for something which is probably going to be quadruple the price of whatever you would normally prep anyway like you're still allocating time to going out and doing that. And if you eat four times a day, that's four meals that you're going out and buying. Otherwise you're gonna skip meals or, yeah. <laughs> Each to their own. Each to their own. But the one funny thing about the trip was that we did bring down 24 kilograms worth of food but our hotel room did not have a microwave. And when I arrived, I asked them, hey, you know, are, are you allowed to put in a microwave into the room? And they told me that they weren't allowed to put microwaves into that room because it might short circuit the room. And I took that half seriously, but also questioned like, Ugh, you know, like if you plug in a microwave, is it really gonna short circuit the hotel room? And you and I, we microwave a heck of a lot of our meals. Plus it was like six degrees in Sydney. So it was pretty chilly. And I know we both like to eat a warm, a warm protein cake. So I actually Googled like Kmart's in the area. And it turns out that there was a Kmart only a two kilometer walk away, but it's a 24 hour Kmart, which here in Queensland, that's just absurd. You know, Kmart's what they usually open at maybe 8 a.m. at the earliest, but 24 hours absolutely scored mm, that was the highlight of your trip for sure <laughs> legit right <laughs> like yeah the bodybuilding show was awesome but i'll tell you that 24-hour kmart <laughs> really lit me up but 
on Saturday morning when we woke up, like in, instead of just, well, I went for my regular morning walk, but it had a purpose and a destination. And I just walked down this big street down to a 24 hour Kmart and bought myself a $52 microwave and just walked back to the apartment. And I was aware that the reception people who told me the night before when we got in that it might short circuit the room. So I was like (laughs) trying to hide this microwave to the best of my ability under my arm. But how the hell do you hide a big ass box? (laughs) But I just snuck into reception. I just like ducked around the corner and went into the elevator. And lo and behold, we did not short circuit the room. And I think we probably used that microwave a total of what, 12 times? Yeah, I think I used it maybe once and you the other 11 times. <laughs> That's fair. But I'll tell you, we were at the show on Saturday and I get a phone call from some unknown number and I picked it up. And what turns out is that the housekeeper or the maid who came into our room that day, she tattletailed on us, Jack. She actually told reception that room 514 has a microwave in their room. And then I got a phone call from reception telling me that like I wasn't allowed to have a microwave in our room. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I'm really sorry. Uh, Don't worry, I won't use it again. I've already cooked all of my meals for the day. But I just thought that was a little bit hilarious. But hey, we also got questions of what did you do with the microwave? You know, do you leave it in the room? Do you throw it in a dumpster? Like, what do you do? Well, we ate almost all 24 kilos of food, right? Then we had an empty suitcase plus another one with hardly any clothes in it. We were actually able to squeeze this microwave into one of our suitcases and fly home with it. Yes, with our new suitcases as well. (laughs) But I'm just telling you, I'm impressed that that thing did not break or crack in transit. Uh, We just like shoved a whole bunch of clothes like around it to try to provide a little bit of cushioning, plus the styrofoam that it came in with the box. But hell, it made its way back to Brisbane all in one piece. Now we have two microwaves. We no longer have to have disputes about who gets to use the microwave first when we are coming home from the gym, because I know that's definitely a topic of discussion on our car rides home, especially when we're both dieting at the very same time. Anyway, we did fly home with a microwave and uh, yeah, now we've got two. So how good, but yeah, the season A show was just insane. Honestly, the caliber of athletes blew my mind and it really goes to show that, you know, people can't just say, oh, season A, it's the easier or less competitive season compared to season B because boy, if you would have been there on the weekend, you would have seen that that is just not the case, especially in the female divisions. Like there were no girls up there that looked out of place. I'm telling you. And the standard for every single division now, it's just, it's nuts. You've got ICN bikini girls up there with glute ham tie-ins. You've got fitness competitors with just striations all over their bodies and insane muscularity, great posing. But because there's so many of them, you have girls that would undoubtedly be pro caliber or pro worthy a few years ago. They're now getting participation medals because there's just so many great competitors. Even the figure lineup was stacked for season A. So it was just super duper impressive, but it's great to see the, the sport evolving really to that sort of level. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's a good it's a good indication that yeah, the sport is growing and it's becoming more competitive and it's so difficult to say whether a one season is better or worse than the other because 
it really just depends on who shows up. Mm. And I think especially amongst first-time competitors, like they're not really weighing up which season mm. is bigger. Like they're, they're just choosing a season. Or a lot of people might want to do season A because maybe they want to get it done earlier in the year. Or I know a lot of people potentially choose season B because they don't have to prep over Christmas and mm. stuff like that. Yeah, but... I think it just goes to show that season A or season B, the sport is evolving to an incredibly high level. It's highly, highly competitive. It's quite clear that it is a year round sport. People are no longer under the impression that it's something that you just accomplish during a prep or heck, you have a few weeks or a few months worth of an improvement season or an off season before you enter into prep. And then you are almost under the delusion that you are going to do incredibly well. I would say that's even the case, Jack, for the bikini division. Wouldn't you say so? Because <laughs> admittedly, like a few years ago, you and I, you know, we joke around about ICN bikini. I'm sure just like a lot of people do, you know, you and I were like, oh, like, you know, bikini, like <laughs> who won bikini, right? It's kind of like take your pick because all the girls look pretty similar. They all look pretty good. But I would argue that a few years ago, especially in ICM bikini, it was definitely that entry level division. And it was more so dictated hugely on your genetics. And also you really, you just had to kind of be dieting and training for a few months quite seriously. It wasn't necessarily something that you would develop yourself into over like a five year improvement season sort of thing. But that's just not the case anymore. And I actually really like ICN bikini now because again, just like every other division, the competitors are moving the standard and it's really evolving. And it's like, holy crap, this actually is a division that's no longer just determined by your ability to follow a diet for a few months or, you know, your genetics, but it's rather like, no, you legitimately have to train for this. You actually have to have some level of muscular development to really hold your own in this division, which of before that I would just argue that wasn't necessarily the case so that's awesome and that's the entry-level division mm. yeah and it's I guess the from a men's perspective like the I mean I don't have too much to add on the bikini front because mm. I agree and and now it's definitely bikini it's no longer bikini mm. <laughs> yeah I, I did <laughs> But like, you know, you know what I mean? Like everyone has that little bit of a chuckle, right? Because in the past, like, it's kind of like, oh, who won bikini? You know, like, take your pick. <laughs> yeah, potentially. Uh, I mean, I personally didn't say that. But... <laughs> hey, okay, I'll raise my hand. I'm the female coach over here, so it's all G. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, from a men's perspective, I guess the newest category would be classic physique over mm. there. And it was it's good to see more and more numbers in classic, like, well, Classic is now outweighing the bodybuilding. The bodybuilding only had one open class and the Classic had two. So, um, and for those who don't know, those who those competitors who win their open class, they get a pro card and then the open class winners compete for the national title. Mm. So yeah, it was good to see the Classic physique division evolving. And um, honestly, the, the muscularity there is is comparable for body, to bodybuilding. Like the, uh, the, the Gen 2 one classic the national title he came second place in in bodybuilding mm. so it is looking fairly similar from that front i think there are subtle differences i find depending on which state holds the nationals like uh, from from what i can gather like the 
it really depends who shows up, of course, and the overall look at it, all the competitors because the competitors on the day kind of dictate who wins. But comparing it to like season B last year, I would say that it was almost like a more more of an emphasis on posing, whereas I would say this is this was a bit more of an emphasis on the physique. Like mm. I would say both first place competitors, there were people who had better posing, but the physiques weren't as good, and therefore the people with the better physiques won, which is ultimately, I guess, how you want it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I guess at the end of the day, the best body needs to win, but posing obviously dictates what makes that body look the best on stage. So it has to yes. be both. And it's just getting to that point, too, where if you are even in the running to be getting a top placing, not even talking about first, I'm talking about first, second, third, man, even at the caliber of these shows, legit, Placing top five is something to be really proud of because you're top five in the whole country. Arguably, under those exact certain criterion divisions, like you're in the top five of the most subjectively best looking people in the country. So that's kind of something to be a little bit, you know, chuffed about, I would say. But I think the thing with Australia as well, like unlike places such as the UK, like. In Australia, you actually have to travel quite a distance to go to nationals. Mm. Like, it's quite an undertaking. So, therefore, to me, it makes sense that people who do rock up at nationals, like, mean business. Whereas, it would be different if our country was the size of Tasmania Mm. and you could just drive to nationals. (laughs) Like, everyone would have... It would be much more accessible, which just isn't the case with Australia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, people who head over from Perth, like, that's basically, like... For some people flying from one side of Europe to the other, basically. Yeah, but boy, like, is there something in the water or what over in Western Australia? Because Western Australia, they took out... So, yeah, I meant WA, not Perth. Yeah, yeah. well, um, and a lot of the competitors probably are from around Perth. (laughs) Yeah, there's not too much else. It's either Perth or it's the dust. (laughs) Does that count? Uh, I don't really know. The <laughs> Margaret River. <laughs> You're doing swimming for your cardio. <laughs> I think Sheena might have been the only competitor from Northern Territory. Yeah, yeah. Sheena's from Darwin. And Northern Territory doesn't have an ICN. So she happily is, you know, affiliated with Queensland. They'll take her in under their wing. That's good. <laughs> but WA, like, man, just the standard of competitors over there. Like, I would be flippin' intimidated to do a state show over in Western Australia because a lot of the Western Australians, they come over to nationals and they just clean up. Like, I think the large majority of the overall winners, I know the fitness overall winner, she's from Western Australia. I know that the figure overall winner, she's from Western I Australia. Think the sports as well. Yeah, the, the sports model girl. Oh my gosh. But okay, those are the chicks. What about, what about the guys? Uh, I'm not 100% sure. I think maybe one of the... No, not not as many guys from WA. Mm. But there were definitely quite a few in the lineups. But I don't mm. believe there were any, any overalls. Mm. Yeah, because yeah, Jeff got the overall in bodybuilding. Mm. And then New South Wales was overall in classic. And then I'm, I'm, I wasn't sure about fitness or... Well, Jay, yeah, Jay won an open category in classic, and he's obviously Queensland. So. Yes. Yeah. Okay, mm. well then, maybe it's just the ladies, right? Yeah. They're drinking some special water over in Western Australia, and they are absolutely beautiful and jacked and striated, and wow. <laughs> Talk about just some uh, phenomenal females. But I think it also just begs the question too, Jack, is that like 
everyone showing up at these shows looks like they belong, right? Like they are bringing their A game, but at the end of the day, you know, only one person can win. And it goes to say that like sometimes first time competitors, sometimes they can feel a little bit disheartened when they don't necessarily place or, you know, they have a participation medal hung around their neck, even though they know that they gave that prep everything. But what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, there are even people who have competed for many years and who still get participation medals. And mm. like, it's, it's just heavily determined by genetics for starters. Like mm. genetics is probably up there with the top three most important things in this sport. So like that's, that's one side of it. But also you have to remember that like you are a first time competitor as well. And you could compare it to any other sport and someone might be doing a six month prep and that's the the first time they've ever seriously committed to their training and nutrition and then they're expecting a pro card in a highly competitive federation Mm. of ICN. Yeah, I think that's the most rocky part of it is when people go into shows with these expectations, right? Like by no means, there's nothing wrong with wanting to win. I I strongly encourage all of my clients and I, I even myself like to have a winning mindset. Otherwise it begs the question, what else is going to push you during the depths of prep when you're having a really tough day if you don't want to win? Like, <laughs> I think wanting to win is good, but not necessarily expecting to win. Yeah, exactly right. You can't go into a show with expectations because it's completely out of your hands. Like it's, it's in the judge's hands at that point. And oh, might I say at the national show, the entire judging table was female. First time I've ever seen an entire female judging panel. And I'm just going to say, I think it was the best judging they've ever had at a national show. (laughs) But the thing is, if you go into a show expecting to win, I would then say that you are potentially be setting yourself up for disappointment. Go into a show wanting to win, but you can't go in with any sort of expectations because you never know what's going to happen on show day. You know, you can think that you've stalked every single Instagram person out there and you've seen everyone's physique or whatever. There's always going to be a dark horse that shows up and you're like, who the heck is this? Or recognizing like Instagram, it's all smoke and mirrors. People generally look very different in person. Some people look way better. Some people don't look as good. So it's just going into a show being content with the fact that I've done everything possible to bring my best today and I just need to see how the cookie crumbles and where the chips fall and ultimately how I place. But yeah, God, having the expectation to go pro in your first season or even take everything out and win in your very first season, you just, you can't be delusional. (laughs) It's just like any other sport. Like you said, like you don't just start playing basketball or start playing soccer or you hop in a pool for six or 12 months and then you expect to be picked for the Commonwealth team or go to the Olympics or be picked, you know, for the Premier League or something of that nature. And I think even having that sort of mindset to begin with is not the mindset of a professional athlete. I think that professional athletes really learn to appreciate that good things take time and you you well and truly have to ingrain yourself with that delayed gratification and re- recognizing that it's going to take a lot of hard work and patience and grit and it's going to take facing a hell of a lot of defeat and I think that success really is failure turned inside out. Yeah, and we got to remember what that pro card means too like it in a way it represents success. Yes, it does, but also all it means is that 
someone better didn't turn up on the day. Mm. Like you were the best on the day, but it's just one point in time at one venue. Like if, if I'd won my pro card in my first season, like I probably would have accepted it, mm. even though like realistically, like there was no way I would have been getting that. But looking back now, I would probably wouldn't have, have accepted it, even if mm. I had the opportunity, just because I know that the opportunities for pros aren't great in natural federation. Mm. So I think it's much more enjoyable to compete as an amateur with much bigger lineups. That's my, that like, but that doesn't mean next time I compete, if I get offered a pro card, I'll, mm. I'll be taking it. But well, and truly that's because you would have been, you'll be pro worthy, not, mm. not just your physique, but your mindset too. I think back to like you and I competed for the very first time back in 2018, we were 20 year old little nuggets. <laughs> like you and I were not under the impression at all that, that we were going to turn into professional athletes. We only did two shows. We didn't even go to nationals that season but I think back to that now and I'm like the next time I compete it'll be my fourth season the next time you compete it'll be your third season like (laughs) that's why I always have to remind the girls on my team when of course everyone wants to win right but you're a first timer as well and I'm like I want you to win too like of course as a as a coach you want your own clients to win and you root for them otherwise what kind of coach are you but you also have to just be aware that on the day, it's outside our hands. All that we can control is bringing you in at the absolute best possible. But after that, you know, the best person on the day has to win. They, and they will be the most deserving. That might be you. That might be someone else. But, like, ultimately, you should feel like a winner regardless if you know that you did everything that you could to possibly get to that point. Mm. It, it just goes to show that win or lose, like the best feeling comes from knowing that you stepped on stage in your final form at your absolute best, doing everything that you could to get there. But it is just like any other sport. You know, you don't just give something a crack for six or 12 months and then expect to be a professional. Because to be a professional, you have to do what, 10,000 hours plus worth of work. To be an expert. (laughs) To be an expert, to be a pro. (laughs) But imagine like a musician. If you and I went out and bought a guitar and gave it a good crack, but we're like, oh, but you know, I've been practicing the guitar every single day for six months. Like, why am I not being interviewed for Metallica? (laughs) Something like that. But final thing I'll say is that I like how you made that point of, if you love to compete, then enjoy your years as an amateur facing those little wins, facing that defeat, everything in between. Enjoy your preps, like be process driven, not so outcome focused. Because if you love to compete, unless you're an IFBB pro, once you turn pro, it's pretty much a dead end to competing as a natural athlete. And that's that's just the, the truth. Like, yes, sure, there's mm, avenues. I wouldn't quite say dead end, that's quite strong. Yeah, but. okay. But you're, it's not like you could never compete again. But for the most part, there's far less competition opportunities, especially here in Australia, for you to actually enter into pro lineups. Like, enjoy your amateur years. Enjoy climbing those ranks, just like I know you and I are right now. It's fun. You have so many different show opportunities because once you finally are worthy and you do claim that win, which will feel very sweet after facing so many years of defeat, once you're finally a pro, after that, it's like, Wow. Okay. Well, one, now I'm a little fish in a really big pond again, 
But at the same time, you've usually got to catch a flight over the pond to go fly to another country to compete alongside other professional athletes. And you might undertake an entire prep to only do maybe one show. You can't just do like four locally. Yeah, for sure. And I do know, we both know a handful of people who like they get their ICN pro card or their Natty pro card and then they either just stop bodybuilding Mm -hmm. because they've ticked it off or they move up to or move mm. not necessarily up or down they just move to ifbb and they they no longer have that natty card mm-hmm. yeah exactly but when you see people go pro or win everything in their very first season as a first timer just remember that is the exception that is not the rule okay and enjoy your years as an amateur and enjoy the competitions if you truly love bodybuilding and you want to keep improving and and keep competing because by the time, if, if you ever do win that pro card, you have to remember too, far more people walk away from bodybuilding shows empty-handed than those walking away with swords and trophies and tiaras and these big ribbons around their chest, whatever. Like very few people actually turn into professional athletes anyway. But once they finally do, and you can see it there, it's like, wow, that person's been at this for the last 10 years. It probably feels so, so sweet to finally accomplish that but they work their ass off for it and the main thing is they really appreciate it they really understand what they've just accomplished and they're not going to take that lightly if you do turn pro in your very first season you just do run the risk of not truly understanding or appreciating what you've actually achieved in that scenario so you know that's just something to think about but either way jack there we go another bodybuilding season wrapped up hoo-ha but i want to hear something else has been going on behind the scenes on your end how's everything been going on the mini cut front yeah it's been going well so i don't think i've given an update on my mini cut at all which tells me that we haven't podcasted frequently enough it's been four weeks you could argue that maybe your mini cut's just been very mini yes well my mini cut was five weeks in total so um, and I'll give people some numbers. I know someone in particular asked about some numbers and I'm sure people are, are somewhat interested to know like um, how, I, how I ran it basically. So essentially I ran a mini cut for starters because I'd reached my kind of peak body weight and my body fat was higher end for me at least. And my appetite as people would know was very, very low. And that was a good reason to just resensitize appetite and also to bring down my body fat and body weight for the next push-up phase will actually be my final proper push-up phase of this improvement season before I then do like a pre-prep phase and then begin prep for 2024 season B which is crazy even though like we're still like one and a half years away from me competing it's it's still going to be my final major period of the gaining phase which is nuts Mm. so Basically, I ended on calories-wise, so it was 4,765 calories. This is a training day, so 725 carb, 85 fat, and then 275 protein. And my body weight was, yeah, pretty much 95.5 kilos on average. Okay, so you you said ended, because I was like, whoa, what? You ended your mini cut on those values. So you ended your gaining phase on that many calories, but you started the mini cut from that baseline. Yes, I didn't start my mini cut on almost 5K calories. (laughs) I was gonna say, holy moly. (laughs) 
And then basically five minutes, five, sorry, not five minutes, but it seems like five minutes. It went that quickly. So I did five weeks of dieting and calories initially were at 3150. So as you can tell quite a major drop of, of about 1600 calories. And I th- with adaptive people like that might be a bit of a mind boggle for certain people who maybe only eat 1600 calories a day. But for, for those people like myself who are very, very adaptive, like we adapt on both ends. Like it's very rare to find someone who doesn't adapt both ways. Like if, mm. you, if you're able to eat a lot in the off season, chances are you're not going to be able to eat that much in, in the cutting mm. phase. Like I can still relatively eat more than other people because like I was still mini cutting on over 3000 calories, but in proportion to what I was having to gain, it's still quite a lot less. Mm. Yeah. Relative to where you started off from. Yes. But absolutely, if you're doing a 1600 calorie drop, 100% make sure that you're not starting off from a base of maintaining your weight on 1600 mm. calories because that's not a mini cut. That's called starvation. Yeah. Or a long fast, that's for <laughs> sure. So basically, yeah, I dropped roughly a, a little over a kilo each week and I went from 95 and a half to my lowest of 88.6. So it was 6.9 kilos. And. Yeah, obviously, honestly went very smoothly, like performance in the gym. First of all, I didn't really change anything in the gym, like kept volume the same and kept intensity the same, like still trained pretty much to zero reps in reserve for most things. Maybe on leg days, I would leave one or two reps in reserve for certain movements and mainly just based on how I felt on the day, to be honest. But I would say that overall my intensity probably increased in the mini cut just because I was trying to hold on to numbers. And I think a lot of people maybe, they don't necessarily lie, but they maybe paint a little bit of a nicer picture of performance in a dieting phase. Like some people might honestly be able to progress across the board, but that's honestly not me. That's not my experience in a deficit. Like I usually, in the initial drop in body weight, I usually actually do notice a bit of a performance drop-off, particularly in um, pushing movements. And then I quite comfortably find maintenance on movements. Like I don't necessarily go up in, it, in everything, but I don't really go down too much either. And that mm. kind of sums up the mini cut. So don't feel like when you do enter a dieting phase, you have to still be progressing. Like if you can take those progressions, then most certainly take them. And mm. I was taking them as well. But the main goal in a deficit is to not progress. It's to is to maintain what you've been doing Mm. and also maintain your execution. I think a lot of people, when they are in a mini cut or in some sort of deficit, they'll almost get false progressions because maybe they'll reduce their range of motion or they'll speed up their eccentrics and it'll give them the impression that they are getting stronger because the numbers are going up, but at what cost? You're no longer then putting the same sort of stimulus on on the muscle you're trying to train Mm. and therefore You'd, it would be better to take a low drop than continue with the poorer execution. Mm-hmm. If anything, it's probably actually a good sign if when you enter into a mini cut, if you aren't continuing to see performance just shoot through the roof, because that's probably an indication of one, you've got a good number of training years under your belt. So you're probably on that edge of an intermediate going borderline advanced trainee, but also you know how to train hard in the future. And also you're going into a mini cut continuing to follow a program that you're already very accustomed to. I think that people would continue to see performance progressions in the gym at quite a, you know, rapid rate, despite having their calories slashed. 
is if they weren't really training that hard to begin with. So they were already keeping a lot of reps in reserve. So they could keep upping load, getting more reps and everything like that. Or if they've just started a brand new program and a lot of things are just very novel. So I think that's actually a really good indication if from your front where you're like, nah, some things actually slightly fell off because yeah, you take away 1600 calories, that's a buttload of carbs. And that's a lot of glycogen that could have been in those well, you've got pretty nice shoulders, but smaller muscle groups. <laughs> like I think pushing is the biggest one that always falls off for me. Like the moment that I enter into a deficit, like you just think about how much like your delts and your triceps and everything get sucked down because you have hardly any glycogen in them. Especially for me who might mini cut closer to 150 carb, maybe not like 400 like mm. you, <laughs> but pushing movements always take a hit. But I, I feel like Sometimes my lower body movements, at least in the early phases of a diet, continue to go up. Things like a a lunge or a Bulgarian, like sometimes those can continue to go up. One, because mentally you just have to be there. It's, It's hugely psychological, your willingness to still just, you know, knuckle down and still push. But also if you're maintaining your muscle mass in that case, I think it's easier to keep pushing and executing on lower body movements too. But cardiovascularly, sometimes you can continue to push or even at least pump out more reps because, man, you just don't feel as gassed. Like, did you find that that at all with your with your squats? Like your recovering heart rate was better when you entered back into like the low 90s compared to when you were 95? Like you just weren't as beat up during like a set of squats? Yeah, for me, the major movement was pretty much any movement on lower body day, but mm. particularly for some reason, back extensions maybe because I did them directly after squats, but yeah, I, towards the end of my gaining phase, like after movement number one, I was battling that urge to just throw up pretty Mm. much. Whereas in the cutting phase that, that stopped straight away, which was nice. And the, the quality of my leg sessions would have been higher overall. And they were also more efficient because I wasn't having to like sometimes wait 10 plus minutes in between sets so that I could get my gorge under control yeah yeah it's a give and take because you're like god damn i'm metabolically adapting like my resting heart rate exercising heart rate slightly going down so you're burning a few less calories but at the same time you're like oh at least this is a more pleasant workout Mm. (laughs) but jack i think the biggest question on everybody's lips is prior to this mini cut you were what having three shakes a day out of four meals how did how did it go on that front you know like uh, when did the shakes start to you know taper down to more solid foods so i think after about a week i subbed out a couple of well i went back to basically three solid meals Mm -hmm. and then one i just kept one shake in the whole time and it was purely because it was mainly just a protein shake like i would have milk some protein powder and and some almonds so and that was done purely out of efficiency rather than anything else like it was that I have it at that time of the day where I'm busy and it's just easier for me to drink something and then go back to work but yeah it was definitely nice to get the appetite back and now I'm I'm still having I'm back to four meals with solid food so that's nice I think occasionally I will like if I've got a busier morning of check-ins like Monday and Fridays are quite busy for me check-in wise so you might see me blending my breakfast still just so I can save half an hour literally so I can get to start work a little bit earlier, but that's not from an appetite perspective, mainly just from a efficiency perspective. Mm -hmm. 
Good. Well, I'm happy to hear that obviously you've got your appetite back, given that we'll be traveling the world in just over two weeks' time. And uh, I'm not sure how much access we'll have to blenders and even protein shakes. So it'll be good to um, be able to sit down to a few meals each day and enjoy them. Yes. <laughs> I wasn't so far gone that I wouldn't be at home. I don't know, man. You were. <laughs> I heard that blender go off more than I've ever heard go off in our in our mm. lives together. <laughs> That's like seven years now. Mm. Yeah, well, you still use the blender more than me, though. Uh, no, I use it twice a day. Yeah, uh, you were using it three times, so you had one, me one up. Yeah, but now you're back in in the okay, lead. Okay, so now I'm I am back in the lead. <laughs> but either way, no, an, another successful diet on on Jack Radford Smith's front for sure. Mm. Yeah, so now I'm, I'm back up to, like, kind of went back up very quickly. Now I'm just above 4,000 calories, I think 4,200. And unsurprisingly, like, my weight has come up a little bit. I think come up by a little bit over a kilo. Mm-hmm. And that's not surprising given that um, huge amount of carbs and, and glycogen. And I know that's going to reflect in how I feel in the gym quite, quite quickly. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, looking forward to kind of finishing up these last two weeks of training at full intensity before we go away. Uh, well, we'll, we'll have mm. over three weeks, so it's more like three and a half weeks of a different style of training, just mm. uh, taking it easy, really. Because for a guy like you, relative to your total body weight, muscularity, obviously total calorie intake, have you and AJ ever had those discussions or like, do you just kind of account for that? Because considering the very first week of a diet, right? you slash 1600 calories, your weight would have dropped quite dramatically that first week. What by maybe over two kilos, two yeah. kilos. Yeah. And then you're now almost one week post diet, your weight's up by close to a kilo or so. Do you kind of just allow, obviously, cause you have to take into account that is just a lot of fluid glycogen, additional food bulk. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Do you mm. just account for like, okay, that's just, that's not really a kilo of tissue. So when you actually look at how much body weight you actually lost, it was probably what closer to like five and a half kilos rather than like, you know, 6.9. Yeah. I don't think we, we really need to discuss that me and AJ mm. because we know that it's more happening. so just a reassurance thing, you know, cause I know that a lot of people would be like, oh, I just lost all this weight, you know, and I'm, I'm now just a few days post diet. Like my coach has put me on a, on a lot more calories and my weight shot up by quite a few hundred grams, you know, like I'm gaining weight too quickly. Like, yes, on the scale you've gained weight, but understanding what that weight gain is correlated with. If it's just glycogen fluid and food bulk, it's not just like body fat's gone straight to your hips. Mm. Yeah, so yeah, for sure. I think that's important to reassure people. Cool. Well, that's enough about me. How have you been going? Whew, compared to our last update, honestly, not too different. Just pretty swell. I'm just really proud of everyone on the team for how they held their own on stage these past number of weeks during season A. And just busy as ever with now helping people through their recovery diets, moving into a the thick of season B. I've got close to about 13 girls stepping on stage in season B later this year across different federations with WBFF, ICN, IFBB, WNBF at the end of the year, which is just going to be super exciting. So yeah, everything on a work and a competitive front, that's going really well. My own training's going well. And I'm just at a really smooth spot right now in my improvement season where body weight's holding pretty steady around the mid 67 kilograms. Each day I'm consuming on average like between 
2,600 to 2,700 calories. So just my metabolic rate's in a really good spot right now. Energy levels are high. On the macros front, like I'm averaging around 160 protein, anywhere between like 375 to 400 carb and between like 45 to 50 grams of fat per day. And I just feel like before we go on this holiday, because we leave in just over two weeks time, like I feel like I'm going to be leaving on this holiday at my peak fitness, health, strength. I, I feel like I would have really hit, hit a peak for the first time in my life, my, my best ever on all fronts where I just really feel like I'm absolutely thriving. So it feels fantastic. Like on a strength front, just, I just feel so strong, man. Like my lunges now, a hundred kilograms used to be a huge milestone for me that I wanted to hit. This past week, I actually did 105 for a top set of six reps which was amazing. And with stronger quads in those lunges, like it's just translating into significantly stronger quad movements for everything else. Like my true squats now, this past week I did two sets of eight with 35 kilograms. And it was only a few months ago where I failed on like 15 kilograms. So now over twice the weight and just having that, just that, that oomph to really just like knuckle down and just push and almost desensitize myself from how, you know, kind of painful or uncomfortable it is and just really be able to push myself. And I find that as I'm getting more proficient with these movements and really learning that skill of what it's like to just train hard and just push through these gnarly exercises, I, I really do believe that well, I can see in my physique that it's helping with my physique development, but also it's the case of I can just perform two really good quality sets rather than doing three or four or five sets, which I had to program myself in the past because one, I just didn't know how to train nearly as hard from like a mental front, but also just like the motor unit recruitment, like I don't quite know how to explain it, but I can feel it like in a true squat, my ability to now just recruit more motor units in my quads to really push that freaking weight up. You, you know what that would feel like too. <laughs> yeah. I would testify more so to maybe more accurate training, like mm. being able to execute a movement so that you're actually using the intended muscle. Yeah. But it all comes with time and experience, but boy, does it feel good. Yeah. It feels, um, really freaking awesome even started adding weights to my like wide grip and neutral grip chin-ups as well and before we head off i really want to give 20 kilogram dips a go i've progressed up to 15 kilograms with a plate and i'm able to do three sets of eight with those but before we head off in just over two weeks probably not this week but next week I want to attempt a 20 kilo plate and try to get like at least five reps with that thing. I think that would be pretty freaking wicked because <laughs> that will be on my triceps, 67.5 plus 20, almost 90 kilograms of resistance pushing up on my, on my long ass triceps. So that'll be pretty cool. But anyway, that's kind of me in a nutshell. I'm just happy. Um, but Jack, final thing we'll end on is one thing that we learned this week. So what do you learn? Yeah, so I was looking at the, the flight times from Brisbane to our first destination, which is Canada. Well, it's more so Washington where we'll be staying, but we're going from Brisbane to Canada to Washington. Well, Vancouver. Yeah, mm. that's in Canada, right? It is, but Canada is a big place. Yeah, so I, I was looking at the, the flight times and... 
I think it will officially be the, the longest flight that I would have been on. So 13 hours and 45 minutes is the <laughs> predicted amount of, of flying. Ah, oh, no, man. When we flew to Hawaii, that was over 14 hours. No, I don't believe so. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Hmm. Oh, well, depends. It also depends on the wind, you know? Sometimes if the breeze is going in your direction, the plane speeds up a little bit. Yeah, I've, I've been on a long fl- on many long flights, but none... None for since I've been, mm. none for the last six years. Mm. I yeah. believe they're trying to build a plane. Well, maybe they've done it already, but in the future, they're going to have a flight that can go from Australia straight to London. So you don't have to have any layovers. Uh, I don't think it's going to be here till like 2024, 2025 or something like that. But it's supposed to be like a 20 hour nonstop flight. Wow. Yeah, and I saw it on one of those little news articles where they're gonna have like this little area in the plane, like a holistic area where you can like you actually go there and you know lay out a yoga mat and maybe stretch or something like that. So no, I'm always that person in the plane who's like pacing up and down and doing some stretches and stuff like in the aisle and just you know you when you grab your ankle and like pull back so you can stretch your quad and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just prone to having awful cankles on fl- on flights. Like my whole legs just swell up. Mm. So stretch it out. Yeah, get a massage from someone. You're <laughs> the person sitting next to you. Yeah, that'd be nice. It won't be me. <laughs> oh, man. Cool. Well, did you learn anything? Anything as exciting as that? Oh, I don't know. Well, I guess that's uh, <laughs> that's up that's up to the listener to decide what's more exciting. But something I did learn this past week was that apparently it's legal, or to my knowledge, is not illegal to fly with a microwave <laughs> before we actually did it i was like jack can you just google this are we even allowed to fly with this thing and uh you know didn't get held up at airport security saying what is this contraption in your suitcase <laughs> so apparently you are allowed to fly domestically with microwaves in your luggage so mm. that's something that i learned and if not <laughs> sirens are coming after me yep hopefully they don't yeah i hope so too because like it's actually kind of nice having two microwaves and also not a criminal record for something really silly (laughs) but guys thank you so much for tuning in today's podcast if you did enjoy it please remember to take a screenshot post it to your instagram stories tag jack tag myself tag tbd and we will catch you in the next one